Hey, welcome to the Runaways Podcast. My name is Cody. Today we're going to be talking about is an open meta even good and what the problems with it are, what the positives of them are. Uh, but today I am joined back from his vacation from Disney. Dan, I felt like I missed you last week. Uh, we, we ran the ship without you and then I missed you all week of testing. Uh, how was your trip? Was it worth it? Uh, I'd say so. The trip was amazing. Uh, it was so much fun. Me and my wife had a lot of uh, good times together. Uh, Dizzy's great. We did a lot of Star Wars things. I made a lightsaber. That was cool. Um, I yeah, think the best so part cool. was just getting like, what, making a lightsaber? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. No, dude, it was awesome. Um, I think the best part was just like, I think we averaged like, what was it? 15 miles or 10 miles a day of walking. Something crazy. Um <laughs> Great exercise. Uh, but no, the trip was awesome. I feel, or at least I felt super far behind. Uh, it was like a pretty crucial week to miss because like we just started to like understand <laughs> these new heroes and where they fit and our chance are this weekend. So I've been sleep depriving myself a little bit. So I might be a little uh, spacey today on the cast trying to catch up. Yeah, you came back from your trip and you were like, okay, so what are we playing? And spoiler alert to everyone listening, nobody knew. It was just, we have no idea. What's the correct answer? <laughs> I'm also joined today. Uh, back is Connor, our uh, Dash aficionado, who might not be playing Dash, uh, doesn't know. It's weird. I have two specialists on here. I have Connor for Dash, and then obviously we have the prison boy, uh, Fino, here. But Connor, this is the first time that I've heard you during testing where you're like, you're not 100% playing Dash already. Yeah, still trying to figure things out, feel the temperature of the water for her. Um, I think she still has a lot of upsides. She's still great, awesome deck, but just trying to figure out exactly where she falls for the matchups. I think I have to give up on my true queen, though, Dash IO, but we're going to see if I can come up with anything super creative to figure out some of her problems. But we're still trying, but the meta game is so wide open. So many good decks right now. It's awesome. Yeah. And then last but not least, we have Fino, who has. Followed some breadcrumbs that were uh, left by LSS and uh, the recent Battle Hardened winner and might now be able to play Prism again if the deck's even real and not actually fake. Um, but, Fino, how you feeling uh, now that you know where the breadcrumbs are? I just want to first say that so far, 100% of the podcasts I've joined with you guys, Dan has come back from a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> where was I last time? The, the Realm Cruise. Oh, that's fair. I didn't miss the cast, but I was on a cruise. That that was an awesome. Yeah, like a hundred hundred percent of the time, you've you've come back on the cast, yeah. and I came on, and you're like, "Here's this awesome trip I've been on," and I'm just like sitting here being I'm like, "Just a vacation enjoyer." Look at the snow. <laughs> yeah, we um, awesome how, uh, I just actually right before getting on uh, this was streaming Prism and. Deck's fun, at least. Like, I, there's maybe something there. It's one of those, like, uh, definitely worth exploring some more, and we'll see. I'm going to be streaming some more of that. So if you guys want some Prism content, check out the channel. I will say this has been an interesting testing cycle. Uh, we know it's a serious testing cycle because I saw Fino playing games that weren't illusionist. It's like, you have to understand, it's like a month and a half, right? Or a month uh, away from... Pro Tour, and I was talking to Fido the other day. He's like, oh, I can't play games right now. I'm too busy grinding the Kasai over here. And I was like, wait, you're playing a deck that's not Illusionist, and it's a month and a half before the tournament, and you're just grinding games? Like, that's how you know the meta is in a weird state. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I don't I don't play as much as I probably should uh, for people that don't know uh, Lil uh, the, the the one that I got top eight at I literally didn't play for uh, it was like two or three weeks prior to that event I do as I say not as I do when it comes to practice I'm not a, I don't lead by example when it comes to that yeah that was a that was a good indicator that uh, we got some stuff to learn or figure out uh, before Pro Tour um, I will say this is. And I don't have an issue saying this. I, there's not one person on our team who knows what they're playing at Pro Tour. So, yeah, that's and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, so the main topic that we are going to get into is the open meta. Is it even a good thing that we have an open meta? Is it a great thing that we have an open meta? I mean, the first part I would say is what what do you think? What do you think the positives are of having such a diverse open meta as we currently have? Um, I don't know, Connor, I'll let Dan go last since he has uh, been away on vacation. Um, but Connor, what do you think are some of the positive things about having such an open meta? Um, I think an open meta makes a really rewarding experience for players. Um, it, it keeps a lot of people's pet heroes like within striking distance of being a good deck. And if the room shifts a certain way, it's like a really good choice. Um, so I think it's good that people who are vested in one hero, one class, they still feel like their experience is valid and they can always play something within that realm and be pretty happy with it. Um, I think that that honestly is a big mover of how happy the fab or any TCG community is, is like, is the deck I like to play and that I love and I'm attached to, can I play it without feeling bad? And in an open meta game, the answer is way more likely to be yes. Uh, unless you've got some real fringe tastes, then I can't really help you too much. But hey, uh, Te- Teclo Voss and topped. So you're, sometimes your French, you know, your French tastes are good. I guess apparently. Yeah, anything's possible right. in this world. Apparently, <laughs> last last week we would have called Prism fringe, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so this open meta keeps everybody able to play their decks, um, and it, I think it rewards a lot of experience too on your deck. Uh, the Prism player, the Rob Catton, that won last week, like. He probably played a lot more mashups of his deck into his opponent's deck than his opponent had played of their deck into his deck. Like he probably had the experience edge in all those matchups. And so if you kind of stick to your your niche that's still playable right now, it's like you have the experience. You've played those matchups a bunch. Um, I think that that really is something that's rewarding for players, and I think it rewards what we want them to be doing, which is playing weekly, playing against different decks, like devoting their time to the game, practicing all those different things. So I, I personally like an open meta game. Um, but I, and I think it's just, it's, it just really is good for the health of the game. I have like two and two and a half thoughts of, of positives. Uh, I, I assume we're just going over positives. We'll, go over positives. Right now. we'll mix them later. Um, the first one and a half is, I think it leads to a period of the game being interesting. Like, Oh, it's a lot of exploration. There's exciting things going on. No one quite knows what's happening. And, cool stories can happen like the prism thing, like the Teclo thing. Like you have these uh, narratives that come about and that leads to good coverage that leads to engagement from the viewers, the casual audience. Like it's not just this hyper grindy min maxi, just what's the best three decks that we've been seeing for the past couple months. There's no staleness. I think that leads to a lot of fun moments. Um, And then the other thing is I think People that are good at brewing or they figure something out before other people, you get a lot of equity. Like you're the first one to figure out Dash.io, you get second place at a calling. 
You're the first one to figure out Prism. You, you get second place at a battle hard. And like we, we've we've seen this happen time and time again. This has happened in other card games before. Like this, this is nothing new. N- new open meta. You figure out the, the broken thing before anyone else. You get a lot of free Ws. So there's a lot of equity if you're creative and understand how to figure something out before other people. I do believe that Prism won as well. So not even second place. Did it yeah. win? Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. They're not, they're not on team runaways. They can actually win tournaments. They don't just get second place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dan, what do you think? Uh, positive things about having an open meta. <clears throat> There's so many negatives. I know. Um, that's why we got to save think, that for later. I don't, I don't think I have any <laughs> new points. I, I think they hit the, the good points pretty well. Like, you, you can just play. If you like a deck, you can play it. And if it's a good deck, like, you made the right choice. The issue comes if you don't like any decks. Then it's just like, what do you do? There's no answer. There's nothing you enjoy playing, and it's kind of tough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I'll, Although they said. a little bit of the positives, I guess I'll say, is just that you get to play what you like. You don't feel like you're completely out, like was mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but to look at it, I think this is very mm, casual to semi-casual friendly. Um, I know there are some, like, there's definitely some very vocal professional players who really like the open meta. Um, themselves. Uh, I know a lot of people don't, but I think this is very like new player, casual friendly. It feels like you're not like just sitting down at your armory playing the same three decks in a row. If you actually go out to your RTN, um, it's going to be like an experience. You can bring whatever you want and you're not just sitting there playing against Lexi five times. And I think that like makes people actually want to go out and participate in the events. So like for the health of the game in a like I'm trying to sell it at a local place, I think it's very good. Yeah, I I personally enjoy an open meta for like a, a period of time, but I, I enjoy it when it's like not leading into like the Pro Tour or something like that. Like I, I don't want to sit down at Pro Tour and be like, I have no idea what to expect. I don't because then it's like, how do I appropriately utilize my time? And it can lead me feeling like this was a waste of my time and money going to this event because I have no idea what I was supposed to prep for. We're like going to an RTN or something. Whatever. Like, if I lose because I didn't know what I was expecting, I wasted an hour of gas, maybe. Like, that's not a big deal. But then it can also lead to cool, fun, interesting things. It's whatever. I hang out with my friends, have a good time. That doesn't that it's it's not an important event. Yeah. But I don't I don't want to do deal with that at like a big major or something like that. I mean, we can piggyback off that. I think an open meta is great when the matchup spread isn't horrendous. And I think that is the real issue going in the next the piece. Um <coughs> that I think most people are complaining about is that in the past uh, we've had like a couple top decks, two or three, maybe um, in that, maybe just one. Uh, But the matchup spread for decks like under that, they only had to deal with like one matchup that was super bad for it, um, for example. Um, But right now it is feeling like no matter what deck you pick, you have matchups that are just 20%. You just lose the game and you can only win 20% of the time. And like that never feels good. Right. Because that introduces what we're talking about, which is like, you know, like a gym luck. Uh, I don't know if, uh, Dan, you want to explain to people what what people are referring to when they say gym luck. Yeah, it's basically saying like it's like the, the luck outside of the game. So like you're bringing a duck and if you get paired into all of your good matchups, like, yeah, you're probably going to win that event. Um, but if your gem luck is bad and you play your 20 percent or even less, your unwinnable matchup, you just you just lose like because you brought this deck and you didn't know what you were going to play against because the meta is too open and 
says bad gem lock. Yeah, I'll, I'll give everyone an example at home. I'm going to talk about Kasai uh, again for every single podcast. But Kasai has a bunch of matchups that are like really positive for Kasai. And then Kasai has three matchups that it can't win almost ever. And they're Drumai, Pistol Dash, and Kano. And these aren't just like, these are hard. You have other matchups that are hard and you have the mirror. Besides that, you have three matchups, Dromai, Kano, Pistol Dash, in which you're like a 20% or less chance to win. You, that, that's horrendous. Like you go to a tournament, you see like two Dromai, a Kano. That's like, that's three of your losses out, out of, you know, any of your other events. That's not even taking into account your matchups that are close, your matchups that you're a mirror in. Um, and it, it goes like this for like almost every deck in the game. They just have these matchups mm-hmm. that are being played right now that are just 20 percenters. I mean, how do we feel about this? Any thoughts on the gym look aspect? I, I hate it aspect? so much. I, I'm losing so much sleep trying to like answer this unanswerable question of what's the right deck. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of rough. Like we we try and min-max all these things, right? Like we, we take this prep very seriously and we're trying to find the correct answer at the end of the day with all this imperfect data. But now it's like imperfect data that's also like completely random because everything's viable. So you don't know what you're up against. You can't tech your deck correctly you can't pick the deck correctly so it's just like i don't know i'm going a little crazy over here i'm probably just going to pick a deck tomorrow and that's my pro tour deck and be done with it it's also weird in fab where it's like compared to other games even when something's like really good we don't have the same level of adoption to that deck as other card games do like mm-hmm. you, you, we we have a, a an eldrazi winter moment the deck's like broken we're not going to get 50 70 percent of the field playing that deck People are just going to go, nah, I'd win and just play their prism deck. <laughs> they, like, look at um, Pro Tour 1. Like, you had three decks that were obviously you play these and none of them were like crazy adoption. They were like weighted heavier than other things, but you still had other people playing other decks. So it's tough. And that was probably one of the more extreme ones, too. Mm-hmm. I think everything else since then has probably been less extreme of a percentage of deck representation. And Connor, you're normally playing dash, but you have obviously have matchups that are holding you back from just like locking in dash right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I think that the gem, like getting those unlucky or bad matchups, it is definitely a part of it. And you kind of have to pick whichever ones you're okay. Sacking or just being weak too. like, okay, I really hope, Oh, I know no one in my area is very good at math. I'm going to play a deck that's bad in a Kano. Like, I think that that's like kind of some calls you have to make, like those kind of things. Um, but I also do think that... Call me out on the cast. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm getting ready for some tournaments. I'm working on my homework for everybody, you know. But uh, I think one thing I think that is like, we look at it as like a lucky thing, but I think you can also kind of build your deck in a way to give you some percentage points in different places. Like building very flexible plans and card choices to give you a little bit of equity. Like I know coming from Magic, like it was always like if you could find a card that would like answer one kind of permanent and then also give you some answers to another kind and just like give you a little bit more flexibility on everything, you would get a lot of equity out of that through playing it in multiple tournaments. Like you'd find spots for that card to do its thing. And I think that finding those tough matchups and then trying to be like, okay, I'm going to play a Way Sister Spite instead of uh shunt uh so that way like i'm a little bit better in a kano like those small deck building decisions do come up more and you kind of have to pick which ones you're okay not being as prepped for but if you can find those small equity like that small little bump of equity from your card choices i do really enjoy that part of it and i think that makes like 
the the wild wild westness of an open meta like feel kind of fun and interesting and rewarding i would argue it happens a lot less in this game uh due to the fact that we have complete like archetype issues um we're not like all playing permanents and like we're not all playing the same way to play the game so like a kasai mm. is without blowing the entire deck up and then having no matchups into anything else is not going to beat dromai it's just like not because fundamentally the deck uh, plays on an access that Dromai wants to play on. And so the identity of the decks collide and Dromai wins those because they have actual permanents. It's like the same with Kano. Like you can put Oasis in your deck and you can put three Null Rune, but because your damage output is like nothing and their blocks don't matter, like they can block with whatever they want and just chip you and chip you and set up and play around <coughs> Oasis. Like it takes you like 10 rounds to kill them if they like, they, they could no block you for like four rounds most of the time and, and live. Like it's, like it's kind of ridiculous of of just no blocking you, um, you know, without like super good hands lining up, and you can get hands that are just like swing five as like, because you're always expecting to block with some cards as a Kasai. So like you can't really make that matchup better. They just have the way that they're trying to play the game. You're just playing into their strategy. The same with like pistol. I can't break any items. Like I can't I can't destroy items. So they just get to do whatever they want, right? Like. They just set up a, a whole bunch of items and they do more damage than me on less cards. And I'm trying to block with two cards every round because that's how Kasai functions. Now, she has some tools with like trying to like raise an army or try, try to do this other stuff. But in practice, like that stuff doesn't really function very well in most of those matchups. You can't raise an army against, you know, Dash. They, they just pistol them all down in one round. Like it, just, it just doesn't do anything, right? Like, so... My, that's my issue with Fab is in, in all the past metas, for the most part, all the decks that you would consider bringing to a tournament would have like one matchup that was like just a zero percenter. You're just like, I'm just not going to win this. I'll sack it. It's fine. Right. But or and then any deck that had more than that, you're just like, nah, I'm not going to play this. It's like it's Dan. It's why we brought Icelander to nationals. Right. We were like literally oh, yeah. sacking Lexi. We're like, yeah, we're probably 40% into this. We just need to we just need to play against this like three times and win one, and then we're like good because we beat everything else. Exactly. Right? Yep. Like that's a viable strategy. But like right now, it feels like every deck I, I look at, it's like three zero. Like three, they have three batches that are just zero percenters. A part of it too is the a lot of the decks that other decks are having issues into. So like we'll go back to your example, draw my Kano. They're asking for different types of answers to each of them, where it's, mm -hmm. I can't bring an Oasis as a silver bullet for both of them. It's it, I need very, very different answers to these different things. So a lot of the things that are coming up as issues for deck of 0% matchups is blow up the deck to beat this, but then it, it, I still doesn't do anything for this other matchup. It's not like magic where you like, you can play a deck that operates on this axi, and then your sideboard can be like, I, I'm good into all of this. And then my sideboard just beats these things over here. It, it, Fab just doesn't quite work that way because just the, the amount of viable different strategies. And the amount of punishment you're taking just to have the rest of your matchups not even be like 70 or 80 percent. I mean, literally, we played Icelander because we we're like, dude, we're like 70 percent to everything. But Lexi, like it was the only matchup. So we're like, yeah, I'll take that risk all day. And it paid off. Right, Dan? Yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it again. Yeah, I think that was like I like a good example of a good choice that. where the the meta wasn't so open, but I don't know. Connor, what were you going to say? Now there's just no choice. It's just yeah. like, I don't know. My advice is if you like a deck, just play it. And don't waste your time trying to figure all this out because it's, it's not worth it. 
I do like that we've gotten better answers, like those kind of silver bullets in heavy hitters. But I feel like Ripple away, the card that you can discard and they get no tokens um, or nasty surprise. But they're kind of these more like very flexible blue block threes that into certain strategies and certain cards line up really well. So I do think they're giving us a little bit more tools. Shout out to Brian Gottlieb. But um, I think that that'll eventually keep growing as we get that toolbox. And we'll, it'll give you more of that kind of ability to split off your card choices. But no, you're definitely right, though. The fab the fab hero identity thing kind of makes it where you kind of have to do play a similar way a lot of the time. And you can't totally just jump to a different kind of game plan. It's the triangle of death. Normally, there's like a triangle meta and you have like this deck counters this deck, which counters this deck, which counters this deck. And they're like, ah, perfect. This is like it, the triangle of death because this counter to this is like a zero percenter. But then there's also this one over here. There's like one here that counters and one here that counters and one here that counters. You're like, I hope I just don't play this side of the matchups and play everything over here. Right. Like it's it's like the uh, always sunny in Philadelphia thing. Where yeah. He's like has the thing he's trying to explain uh, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> it's like that. I do think this issue is also like one of the best best parts of Flesh and Blood, though. Like it's why the game is so cool because like every hero plays differently and it's like not the same axes and you get to see how they clash against each other. But when you're grinding for a tournament and min-maxing and putting reps into every matchup, like it feels real bad when they're not winnable. And there's yeah. a lot of those. Can we just ban Kano already? I'd be I'd be fine with that. I I personally do not like that every deck has to consider <laughs> Kano. But when they all do, Kano's a lot worse. It's just it's just a frustrating matchup to have to um, play for, in my opinion. Yeah, Peter was complaining about that on Twitter, where he's like, I got to learn a new deck. He's like, every round, everyone was packing like multiple Oasis Good. type of cards. He's just like, <laughs> they deserve it. He, the Kanos have earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Self-correcting. Yeah. I mean, when we think about the meta in general, we have... I mean, it's so opposite. We have like Teklovasen topping and then winning a game on stream, which is like never happened. Right. And that's like, I'm not going to take anything away from the guy who topped. Like, he obviously did a great job. We have a local Teklo uh, player at my locals who brings it every week. The deck is very strong when it's strong. And so props to him for sticking with something that he likes and then, you know, being able to showcase it. But like, obviously he had really good gem pairings and like, but that's what it kind of feels like for every deck. Like, yeah, you're bringing Teklovas and you're hoping like I don't play against uh, Wizard at all. Like, for example, there's several other matchups, but I don't play against Wizard at all because you just can't win at all. But like it, he, the whole tournament, dodge all the Wizards. But if you sit down and play two Wizards, you're like Wizard, Wizard, uh, I just lose. Right. Like, but that's how that's every deck right now. So it's not even that crazy to bring Teklo anymore. Right. Like, wait, are you looking at the wrong decks? Yeah. Are we just techlo what, gamers? Just whatever deck you like, just play it. <laughs> <laughs> Get the reps. So, um, I think in general, moving from this meta, um, this RTN season is going to be very interesting. Um, I think it's going to be pretty hard to... We're not going to end up with like one best deck. Uh, everything just kind of counters each other a little bit. And I would prefer a meta... I think I, I personally prefer metas where there's like three main decks. That's that's the world I personally like living in. Is anyone have this meta as their favorite meta so far that we've played in? My favorites are usually there's like one top dog and then like a couple things that are behind it that have play into it. So like it's everyone gunning for that first thing and then that leads to interesting things too. Like I'm going to go back to that PT uh, one. 
top dog in the meta. People are gunning for it. And then you got a couple of decks that are close behind it that have play into it. And then Kano comes out of nowhere because everyone's so hyper-focused on this. Where Again, that leads to interesting moments. And it does the same thing that I was just saying about open metas where uh, it leads to people that can be creative getting a lot of equity. Well, everyone's so hyper-focused on this, they just ignored this over here. Uh, So I think that leads to interesting moments too. Yep, it's just tough. I don't... I like it a lot less when you go to a tournament run and you have to be like, okay, well, what did you play against? Like, hey, this top. Okay, well, what did they play against? Like, that's like a barometer for if a deck is relevant or not or if they just got paired into, like, good matchups all day, right? And I like that a little bit less just as, like, a story. Um, but I think this is just one of our one of the first bets we had in a while that's, like, not pro-centric. I think it is more casual and like mid-level centric like people who are going to rtns they might go to callings and stuff but they're not like they're not playing the hours that we're putting in right i i wouldn't recommend anyone put the hours in that we put in we're just like degenerates over here um and that's like what we do (laughs) but like yeah it feels like the first one that's like everyone everyone else can get excited but the pros and that's fine Mm -hmm. that's acceptable yeah that's that's fine like that's a world that is fine to go in we'll figure it out we'll we'll gamble i don't don't know if i agree with that I don't know if I agree with that. I, th- I think you're underestimating the potential for things to narrow down as we get closer. Like, it's not the first time we've had an open meta. Like, th- things will might get solved and narrow down a bit if it's if it was like literally next week. Yeah, but <laughs> well, we will see because after RTN we will do a little tier list and we will see what we think about it after that. It's just going to be everything in A and B. And they all kill each other. And that's going to be it. That's going to be the whole meta. <laughs> um, okay. I think we have talked about this enough. Unless anyone has any points before we skip over, we do have a handful of questions to get into this week. Nope. Okay. Well, we are going to have to keep grinding because none, no one has a deck and we should really lock in deck soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, feel bad for the team runaways. No one has a deck. <laughs> it's all sad days over here. <laughs> Every every deck, yeah, so every every I would say every day someone has a new main, but that's not true. It's like every two hours. Okay, I'm I'm 100 locking this deck in, and we're like, they play three games. Okay, well I'm gonna lock this other deck over here. And it's like, well, what about this matchup? My f- my favorite was was it two days ago? Yuanji just enters the call, and he's like, I had a dream about this deck, <laughs> <laughs> and then he just tried selling everyone on it, and then like. I check back in a few hours later and he's like, the dream is dead. It was the, the fastest death <laughs> of a dream I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're actually just trying everything right now. Like I played like 12 different heroes the past two days. Yeah. The amount of posts that go into our discord that are just like, okay, we really got to look into this. And then like five hours later, we don't have to look into this anymore. It's the same as this <laughs> other deck. Yeah. Which is great. Cause like, we're all like so determined to find this answer, but I'm, I'm now convinced it doesn't exist yeah. and we should just, do whatever, whatever you like, just do it. Look, Lock some it people at the end of Pro Tour, like, are going to be really happy with their deck choice because they're going to play the, the game and they're not going to see their bad matchups. And they're going to be like, this is great. And then other people are going to bring the same deck and they're going to sit down and face their opposite matchups for half of their games and just be like, why did I bring this stupid hero? And that is that is the crippling anxiety that is choosing a deck for pro tour that was worlds for me i was like oops found ninjas yep 
Well, Prism is pretty good at adventures. <coughs> Weirdly, not according to the data on that deck. It's apparently losing to Katsu, which that's wild to me. It's close. You make one mistake, you lose the game. That's that's kind of how that matchup feels. You you don't make mistake and just smush him face. It feels fine. But Katsu is uh, I don't. I had some really bad luck with Katsu the the other day to the point where I was like, should I play Katsu? Like, <laughs> they're just like doing crazy things as well. Like it's every deck you play a deck, they do something crazy against you, yep. and you go, should I play that deck? Like the other day when we lost to Viscerai, we're like, should we play Viscerai? Like it's literally every single deck that pops up that you play against and lose to, you're like. Maybe it's that one. Yeah. We also need to like Always identify your angle. play style, what works the best for you, pick the deck that matches, that has reasonable power and matchup spread. Just lock it in. I do think it's easy for There's a lot of value. anyone going to our team. You just pick whatever deck you want to play and play it, and then you have a chance at winning, which is like not how Assuming it Assuming you is. want to play a deck. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of value also in just like playing the thing that you have the most experience in. Like, if you don't know, just play the thing that you've got a million reps in because you're, even in your bad matchups, you're going to know it better than they will. So if it's, you know, not a cursed matchup where you, you like, Kano into uh, uh, Kasai, like, where you basically should just go get lunch. Uh, if it's anything closer than that, you still have equity that you can get there because you're like, ah, you know this, you know this is a good matchup, but you played it 10 times. I've played it 100 I'll find your mistake. <laughs> at, at my last local, we, I got a buy on round two, right? And then the Kano player matched into an Arachne, and the Arachne had no AB. And I looked at the Arachne player, and I was like, you should just scoop, and then you and I should play. And he's like, that's a great <laughs> idea. And he's like, I scoop. And then, <laughs> and then him and I sat down and played a match instead. And the Kano player was like, what? I'm like, you don't get to play. You're playing Kano. Go away. Like, <laughs> he's like, Super, there's nothing he could do. He can never win that matchup. They could play that matchup a thousand times. He'll win zero percent. Like, it, he also doesn't need an opponent to play out that exactly. Game. Just like you can sit over there and just draw your hands and play off the top of your deck. <laughs> and he's like, We played the game, and he's like, That, that was much better than playing against Kano. I was like, Yes, I agree. That was much more fun. <laughs> okay, so let's get into our Discord questions. We do have a decent amount of them, and I was reading through them and pretty good uh discord questions are asked by our premium members in our discord if you'd like to be able to ask questions on the podcast as well as a ton of other features including gameplay videos and asking the team uh questions in general or following along with our tournament reports feel free to join the discord below so first question of the night is going to come from uh let's see what i got here robo and robo asks for the rtn season how viable is it to tech against opponents that you're expecting to see? Uh, I'm on the fence um, of people meta-calling with certain heroes like Prism, or should if they know someone is going to play a certain deck, should they tech for that, or should they just do overall meta-calls? I think that was a good question. Not all at once. Yeah, I can go first. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll you talked about this before. I, I yeah. yeah. Cody's talked about this on the cast before. I think if you have like strong players who consistently top and win your events, like teching for them at an RTN makes sense because like you have to get through them to win. I guess RTN you need a top four, so maybe not as hard. It's more like overall meta, but yeah, I think there is merit to teching. Yeah, yeah, if you're if you're a big fish, you gotta know what the other big fish are doing, and you gotta be ready for them. It's like that's you're going to run into them, 
like the last couple rounds in important matches too. Like you have to at least have a plan. Don't be like, oh, the best part of the area plays Levia. I don't have a sideboarding plan for Levia. Like you gotta at least have something ready. If not, like a couple like cool card choices in your pocket to help the matchup. But no, I think it's fine to like, especially in the local level where you're gonna generally know a lot of people. If it's like your hometown store, if you go somewhere else, so you have to drive a couple hours. Maybe you don't want to tech as hard. I mean, maybe you know the regional kind of end bosses, but um, if it's not like your homies, you can be a little bit more open-ended in how you build your deck. But if it's your local guys and you know what everyone's going to play, I definitely encourage trying to try to meta game. Hard tech, hard tech. Uh, one of the guys who's riding with me to like all the RTNs is playing Kano. You better believe I'm playing three Oasises and all my null. I'm like, I'm. There's not even a question. Any deck that I build, I'm putting it all in there. Like. And I would do that at any tournament for anyone who's going like this is the tournament. If you're going to play something that I feel I have a you know, way to counter or if I think this area plays a lot of this deck, then I'll definitely tech it away or play a deck in a way to try and win that tournament. I mean, that's why you're there, right? No shame. There is no shame in teching against the people in your car. Deal with it, especially <laughs> if you're playing Kano, then you deserve it. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> um, do you remember the the that team that we'd run into during RTN season one of those war machine guys. Yeah. I think I know who you're referring to. Do you remember their team name? I, I, I'm spacing I on that. So funny story with them. I'm sorry. That I can't remember your team name right now. All I can think of is the, the green Reinar guys. Cause they yeah. all, think oh yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. I know which team you're talking about. Yep. Is it green? Tree? It's not they, green tree, um, right? It was something. No, no. Well, rem- well, we, we can edit something. Yeah. In. Um, there, I remember going to one of the RTNs that first season. This this is a story of what not to do. They went up to us at one of them and they're like, uh, uh, me and Jimmy, because we were like, we 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 always played Prism. And they just went up to us and we're like, we're not losing to you this time. We've got poppers. And they dedicated their entire sideboard to poppers. And then they didn't face us during the entire event and lost because their deck was shit because they were just all poppers. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't go to that extreme. But I think it's very reasonable to do some small metagaming towards people in your area. Like, for instance, I know uh, in previous seasons, Dromai is very popular in my area. So I usually have some extra Dromai tech in my deck. And then something that I was doing for a while, this is actually something that happened at a bunch of them, where I would metagame my deck for the mirror. And then the other Dromais would face me, lose, and go, oh, wow, that was a good idea. And then next week, they'd play that tech. But then I changed my tech the next week for that. And they, they oh, man, I, I wasn't ready for that. And it, it, I, I think you get a lot of value out of it. Like, I know I won a bunch of those games because I was teched for the mirror. So, like, but I think, like, teching for, like, one person, maybe, it really depends. It's got to be, like, Unless really. Kano, then you just tech really hard against them every time. I think it's more for like ProQuest. Well, like if you know you're going to see them in the finals, right? Like yep. and you need that for the for the invite. For Artan, yeah, I think it's you, a little if, less. If you have to win that game, okay. But like a lot of times too, like, oh, there's a Kano. I'll I'll take that L. Like I, I can take one loss. If there's just the one, I I think sometimes that's fine too, where it's how many are there in the field. So I think it's more worth it to tech for if a lot of the good players in your area are on specific strategies, like my area, a lot of the good players are on Dromai. So I tech for that because I know I'm probably going to face like one to two of them. If I hit top eight, like I, it's almost guaranteed. There's, like the last one I played top four was all Dromai. 
So like, I, I got to be prepared for that. Yep. That's a good point. I, I do like, if you know, an area plays a certain deck, you should always then tech. Like it's actually just incorrect not to tech. If you know, an area plays a certain type of deck. Um, I do think if the Kano is in the car with you going to your event, then putting Oasis in your deck, you already know there's going to be one Kano. So the chances of additional Kano's you get additional value. So I think mathematically it means you have well, to see tech. like my area, my area, zero Kano's. Yeah. So. Maybe we can get a gentleman's agreement to not play Kano if we all just show up with like AB5 and Oasis with fights <laughs> and just d- destroy their morale. And then eventually there'll be no more Kanos and we can go back to building our decks normally. I mean, we can just break their legs before they even get in, right? Like, <laughs> he does only have 30 life. That is true. He's not very physically opposing. <laughs> okay. Break a storm striders. So overall, yes. Tech for your meta. Do it. Um, Next question. Very, very good question here coming from Ham. Who's your driver for Mario Kart? I'll go first. I'm more of a crash team racing player. Uh, Toad. Uh, Because I always pick the shortest people in any game that I play. And any character creator I make, I make them the shortest you can make them. I have to stay on brand. I like representation. Funny monkey, man. Ah. The Kong. Connor? <laughs> I, I do like me some Luigi, just because it has some nice like little brother energy that I'm into. I like that. Okay, next question. Uh, it's going to be coming from Sifnin, I guess. There's, uh, yeah. Uh, it says, <laughs> do you believe in overthinking? I feel as a person that researches a lot, I can see a lot of lines during a game and I end up Losing myself during a game, I start misplaying because I'm thinking too much. Is this coping or is this actually a relevant thing that happens? Hey, Dan, you want to talk about this one? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I suffer from from time to time. I think like the the biggest thing about overthinking is I think what you're kind of alluding to in the question is that it leads to tunneling. Um, I don't even know how to answer this. I. I can't even get my thoughts together. Um, I think it's a very real thing. Don't overthink it, Dan. Yeah, I'm overthinking it right <laughs> Just now. Just answer the yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real thing. It's it's valid. And there are spots where it's important to not overthink, but like tank real hard. But I think if you can minimize the amount of time you have to tank each game, it, it's very beneficial to like your like long tournament fatigue. So you're not like mentally dead by the, the end of the event. Uh, but also just like game by game like so you're not tunneling super hard just like keeping your mind open instead of like having to find like the perfect line and think about all the possible iterations and all that yeah the the mistake that i fall into for overthinking is always like i think through a line and then i think about four other lines and then i find like on the fifth line i'm like oh this one's the best i'm gonna do this one and then I'm like, oh, I forgot that they had this thing in play. I forgot that they war monitors me. I thought that I forgot that they had Stalin flashback. This kind of messed us all up. Like, you you know what the, the lay of the land is, and then you go deep in the tank, and then you forget about something, and then just run headfirst into it. Like that kind of overthinking is like the worst, also, because you feel so smart as you're making the decision, and then you feel so dumb immediately, and it's like the worst combination of things. Um, so I think that the best way to to overcome that is to have like a kind of simplistic process. I think Dan, I, I know you brought this up once, but like, it's like you think of your line, you do your math 
and then you think through the line again with the math and then you try to make a decision if you have that like repetition and that good habit building then you'll avoid overthinking and you'll feel confident in your choices because that's really what overthinking is is like you're not you're not confident you aren't sure which way to go and but if your process kind of gets you there and you feel confident about it you'll kind of won't be overthinking you won't be torturing yourself also like that's the biggest thing is I, I'm always torturing myself over which decision is right. And I, I do not want to be tortured all day. It's a long day. Yeah. I think the other thing you can do is just like every tournament where I've done well, I've done this very well, which is just stay present during your games. Like um, if your mind starts sidetracking, like focus back on the table, like what's happening, what's going on around me, read every card that your opponent plays, read every card that you're going to play. Like, I don't know. It's easy to like go in the tank, like you're saying, and then forget something on the board state. So just make sure before you make every action that like you're present, right? You're just, you're playing the game. You're here to win that kind of thing. This is uh, fresh for me because I was just playing the new prism deck. The, the problem I get is decision paralysis. I'm overloaded by so much information of so many different play lines that I just, I, I shut down sometimes and I'm like, I have no idea how the heck I'm supposed to play this. And then I sit there and then my brain just turns off. So then I, I just sit there for a second. I'm like, I'm taking too long. So I just do something because I don't know what to do. For me, that happens if I'm not familiar with something. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't have the reps. I I, I personally need the pattern recognition of I've been in this numerous times i've seen this hand i've seen this block i've seen the situation i've been here before i know exactly this play because it's i've been here before if i don't have that then i oh unless i have enough experience with it and then i can draw parallels to other things but if it's like completely fresh like with the prism deck that i was just playing i don't know what i'm doing yet so like oh this is my first time seeing this situation but i have a ton of reps with this deck Okay, what what situations are similar to this and I can find patterns there? Yeah, to piggyback off that, I think if you are having overthinking problems when you are playing in a tournament setting um, or a, you know, a game period, I think you have incomplete prep. Um, because as we, I think Fino and I are very similar in how we approach and how we play the game. In, in, we're the, like, the opposite. Sometimes we play too fast and we miss a tunic counter. Or we play our uh, tournament game, uh, our kill round improperly and lose on the spot. Uh, so maybe we could think a little bit more. Uh, but we are very much heuristic gamers where we have done something enough times where we know how to play in that that situation. Um, and we know based on where we're at in the game currently, what's happening, how we should take the game in what direction in order to try and win. And I think if you are running to a spot where you're overthinking a lot and you've been playing a deck for a long time, you need to start building heuristics into your play engine in order to not have to think so much. You shouldn't have to think that much. Like a lot of the times, like a good example is like Icelander. The normal heuristic is if I see Wounded Bull, I play Wounded Bull because any other option is basically incorrect. Like most of the time. Uh, now, occasionally it's not. And so the first several times you play it, you know, the heuristic is play Wounded Bull if I see Wounded Bull. And then sometimes you'll learn the times where you can't play Wounded Bull. And now you have two heuristics. So now you only have to think about two things. Which heuristic is this Wounded Bull in? Is this the always play it when I see it? Or is it that other rare heuristic where I don't play it? And like this should be like a pattern that's for like most decks that you play enough where it's just immediate recognition. You don't have to overthink in those cases. Uh, 
And then once you get to that point, then it's good to slow down again to make sure you're just not, <laughs> not missing things. So it's always like a, a, a cycle pattern. So it's like, where are you in your training cycle for that deck? But if you're, if this, yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah. I mean, Dan's a great example. Like we had so many conversations about Icelander and, and Dan was number one about, I know I need a heuristic for when I do this. Yep. <laughs> and that, that season I like forced myself to play fast and like lean on my heuristics and not tanking. And like, I was okay sacking like a little bit of efficiency here and there just to like keep my mental up. So I don't like make a like full on misplay. And I found it to actually be really effective. Like I was kind of experimenting and I think it's something I'm going to continue to integrate. And I was the opposite. My, I would, we would go to, so we go to a battle hard and Dan's like, I'm going to play fast. And I'd be like, I'm going to play slow. And then like, so, because we were just in two different cycles, like we had heuristics, but yeah. like we needed to work on the, the other part of it where. You know, you don't just always play the heuristic, right? Um, okay, good question. Next one we have here from Mike at Blockout Party. Uh, and he is saying, when going into a high stakes draft pod, do you consider the classes slash heroes that you know other players in the pod tend to favor? Does that help you draft your seat or does it cloud your ability to read signals? And uh, <laughs> I'll, I will say I just did this at the calling. I looked next to me and said, oh, there's a Michael Hamilton next to me. And then I looked at who was passing to me. And I was like, oh, there's a Yuanji passing to me. And then I looked at, oh, there's a Tarek over here that I've already drafted with. And I went, well, I know the guy next to me, Hamilton, is going to play Warrior because that's all he's played the entire tournament. And I know Yuanji really likes Guardian. And he'll say that he's going to play Warrior and he will. But I didn't think he was going to play Warrior in that one. And then I saw Tarek next to him. I was like, he, this man, I did not see draft Warrior. In my pod, he drafted Reinar. Or not Reinar, but um, KO. And I said, I'm forcing Warrior. Before I even sat down, I looked at the seating arrangement and I said, I'm going Warrior. And I'm going to tell Hamilton not to be Warrior. And I should be kind of free. Now, could have backfired? Absolutely. But like, yes, I'm 100% playing the pod in that situation because I know these players are good. I know they can read signals. I'm not doing that at my RTN. I'm not sitting down and being like, I'm going to hope the oh, person yeah. next to me reads the signal. <laughs> I'm just going to draft my seat. Other thoughts? Uh, I agree with you, and I have an example of how it can go wrong. At yeah. uh, Pro Tour Baltimore, I had two seats to my right. Um, very strong player who I was like pretty confident would not have anything to do with Ranger. And if they sent me a signal saying that they're not Ranger, I can trust it. And the person directly to my right was kind of similar. I didn't know them as well, but I kind of had, I knew they were, they were a good player. I got past like the Ranger gas. I was like, great, I'll be the Ranger. This is fine. I know how to do this. And then other people moved in anyway, and it wasn't the best class for that set. And because of how the, the packs were collated, like they were just more or less random cards from the set. Like there wasn't cards you could depend on. Yeah. I got absolute train wreck draft, 103. Pro Tour is immediately over after a good CC start. Um, I've never done that personally because I, I've never been in a draft pod with like top players and such where like I knew their draft tendencies. So like I, I couldn't say that I, I could do that. But I've done that from the other side. Like uh, Monarch, I was pretty vocal about the fact that I'm going to force Prism on like social media. Uh, as a social experiment, I wanted to know if Fino, the Prism guy, sits down at a pod, is that going to spook people off of Prism? I want to know because that's just like 
not a thing in like magic and shit. Like you're not. Oh man, LSVs in this pod. Just I guess I just can't draft blue. Fuck me. Like that's just not real. And in one of my pods that worked. Two of the people were my locals in the pod, and they were like, "Fuck!" And they just didn't draft Prism. And then um, most of the other people also didn't. It was a two Prism pod. And then one of the other ones. Most of the, the other pod that weekend, I think it was everyone did the same thing, except for I think the, one of the guys passing into me did the smart thing and went, fuck you. I'm going to be prism because I'm passing into you. But then we valued cards differently. So we ended up not fighting over the same card. So that worked to my advantage, which is why I was comfortable forcing it, because I knew we drafted the deck differently than other people. And then the person opposite drafted prism. So that kind of worked out. Yeah. I, I do think it comes up even more so if you know your round one opponent and you kind of have an idea of what their preference might be. I remember like a, a ProQuest top eight, the guy who I was going to play in round one had played Teclo in both drafts, and I kind of figured he was going to be Teclo again. So I was like, all right, my, I have a, this kind of feels like a match deck. I have to have every kind of overpower, every kind of like way to finish the game to get over the top against Teclo because I know it's my first matchup and that's going to matter a lot. Yeah. So if you're in that kind of situation, I think it's really good. And then if you obviously if you know the person directly to your right or left has preferences, it does help you. It is a risky game to play though. Like Dan said, it's it's definitely a risky game. Sometimes you have to know when you have to bulldoze a path or when you have to follow the breadcrumbs that are kind of given to you. And just whatever one you pick, be like be certain. That's my that's my main thing. Like if you're like, I'm gonna force brute or warrior or whatever cut every single brute card for as long as you can until it's not an option, but don't go two picks in three picks in and be like, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to like middle it and then try to take some hybrid cards and end up back on brute. It's just like you are sending awful signals downstream and just pick a path and stick to it. But have that recognition of do I bulldoze or do I need to like follow what people are passing me? Yeah. I think you, I'm, I'm a bulldoze enjoyer. I think you made a good point though for RTN. You only have to win one game. So, like, if you sit down in top eight, like, you only have to get top four to get your invite. So, like, knowing what the person across from you that you're going to play is, is going to draft and drafting, like, the opposite of that is a viable strategy at RTNs. That's, like, even just that's, having that's like a metagame on a metagame, though, because you're metagaming for the tournament structure at that point, which is, like, completely fair. That You should do that because that's the point of playing, right? Every edge you can get. Um so I think and, and there's there's small choices too that you can make that get a lot of equity. You know, like pick up that blue, reinforce the line if you think your opponent's gonna be playing warrior. Like that card's nice and flexible. Pick up like value starting state higher if you think they're gonna be warrior. Like there's a lot of different things that you can get. Um I remember Jacob Shaker crushed me at Pro Tour Baltimore because he just had like all the anti Benji tech. He just had like a yellow peace of mind, blue peace of mind. And like some of the traps and I just like literally never did unblockable damage. And I was just like, Oh, he, he knew to be prepped for Benji. And so if you can have those little things and pick them up in small spots, like it really does help your equity a lot. Yep. I mean, I, I like to thank Tarek for helping that match, uh, helping my draft there. Um, because I was so worried that I was worried that Yuanji was going to just know that I wanted the warrior and then take warrior from me. Um, and, but however, Tarek was a very generous man and passed a bomb guardian card out of pack one right to Yuanji. And he said, I guess this is a signal. Ooh. And then Tarek said, no, <laughs> it's not a signal. I also guardian. We both lose together. 
which is just silly. And for some reason that meant I was just like open warrior seat. And I was like, Hey, thank you. I was like, I was like, I was looking at the first two packs. Wait, CNF Uaji took a warrior card when two packs came by no warrior card. I'm like, I'm good. I'm in like, we're in so hard. So thanks Tarek for train wrecking both of your guys' drafts for us. I really appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Next here. Uh, next question is going to be from Fighting Walloon. It says, uh, do the imperfect and lower power decks of limited require different skills to play well than the more powerful, consistent decks of CC? If so, what do you think of those differences? I think it's a very interesting question. So does the skill set required to be good at limited? Um, is that vastly different than the skill set for CC? I'll let someone else go. I have pretty direct thoughts on this. Anyway, my first thought is like a lot of CC, you can just like copy paste other people's work. So it's like to some degree, yeah, it's like a lot less skill, right? You can just implement what they implemented. And even if you don't do it to perfection, if it's like a good matchup, you're still going to win probably. Um, where like, I think the, I guess like if you're building a deck from scratch, then it's like more equal, but like in limited, you have to construct the deck strategically. Like you have to like pick the cards in the right order to send single, like there's so many layers to it and just. You have to put the right pieces together. And typically in limited games, I find that like you need to know how to get the best use out of each of your cards and like remember that throughout the whole game. So like as you're out of some of your like um like red attacks and your like power cards, you need to like have in the back of mind, like I still have this play to make later plus this play, and then I'm gonna close the game with this attack react or something. It's just like I think it's so much harder. Eight. Yeah, I definitely agree that limited soccer. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Cody. No, you're fine. I, I just think that I think in CC, a lot of skill gets covered up by repetition uh, and practice mm. and experience, doing the one thing over and over and over again. Um, and so everyone kind of ends around the same level with a, you know, a couple of percentages up and down, right? However, in limited, all that is stripped away and you are left alone and scared and you have to then on the fly with no real prep without someone telling you what the correct play is decide all of the correct plays every single round off something that you've never a deck configuration you've never seen before and i think there's a lot of true skill expression in limited now there is a floor you need to have a deck that is playable to this point and then you get to express skill if you have a deck under here you do not get to express skill so once you hit past the bar in limited of my deck is playable, I get to express skill. Then I think the games are very skillful because no one's holding your hand. You haven't been able to like watch a video on how to play this. You haven't been able to be in that situation a, a million times. And I think there is like a level, a base level of skill that is expressed in limited that you don't get in CC. I'm going to small disagree with you yeah. there. I'm going to small disagree. You're like, deck should be here for, to express skill. And if it's down here, like no skill expression. Noah's deck for uh, PT3 was like down here and he expressed so much skill with it. He was like, I have like two red arrows in my deck. In I sealed? Have to get all of my damage. Oh, you're talking about draft. In draft. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, his deck was butt cheeks. It was one of the worst decks I've ever seen. Yeah, that's just the when Noah special. Won. That's not that's not a normal thing. Yeah, I was referring <laughs> specifically to sealed. You should have seen her team as well. deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's very good at getting the most out of his cards. He's very good at that. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I need to win 
with these three traps in my pitch stack. That's nothing else matters except for these three traps that I know are counter pitched to his pump. And then that react. And then they're just going to die out of nowhere and not expect it. You can definitely do it, but it makes the game a lot harder to the point where your skill oh, yeah. can't overcome it. Right. It's just like, <laughs> just like, uh, like one of my losses in sealed was just like my opponent had six block four cards in this deck that I saw. That, that was all the only ones that I saw. And I was just like, yeah, I can't beat that. Like, that's just that's so much value in block and like that that you can't overcome. But if your decks are like around the same level, which most of the time they're going to be like, you get a lot of skill expression in draft and sealed in the actual games and mm-hmm. the construction as well. Cool. Uh, last question of the night. Uh, following the last two weeks of events and performances of Battle Hardens, have any heroes shifted in power, in your opinion, either positively or negatively as a result? And this is from Kuzco. <laughs> Prism? <laughs> hey, uh, Prism? I think every deck has simultane- simultaneously. Is that correct? I don't know. They've all gotten better and worse at the same time. I, I don't know. We talked about the meta already. But yeah, Prism's a good one. That definitely went up in stock. Dude, Victor players yeah, are like condensed, condensed down together. I don't know. I don't know where people had Dromai at before, but I think that's come down a little bit. Hopefully. They need to learn, get in their place. <laughs> I thought Dromai just did well. Isn't it back up now? No, no. Aren't Dromai no. Get, get in the Dromai slot. The Dromai slot, go down. <laughs> it's like the Kano slot. Didn't Dromai just win like a battle harden or something? <laughs> we don't talk about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> so I'm saying, I don't know. Like every deck is seems better and also worse because these other decks are now better and yeah mm-hmm. except for, play what you except like. for victor no breakout victors yet he won blitz that doesn't count blitz is not a real format i agree <laughs> <laughs> until <laughs> until i have a reason to care about it it's not a real format i do like blocking in blitz though that is, that is kind of a fun proposition um but no i think that the brutes are the main thing that's really impressed me power level wise in the last two weeks we saw UT smash people with KO. Um, there's been a lot of Levia top eights. Just I think that Brute in general, obviously, is just it's got a bunch of new cards and it's really pushed, and I think it's really powerful. That's definitely the thing where you're like, oh, I'm not sure how this is this hype's gonna pan out, and it's it's solid, it's very real. I think. I think, I think besides Prism, uh, I've been not very surprised by what has done well. I think the Prism one was surprising. I think Teclo getting there was like, if you've ever played Teclo, then you know if he gets the right matchups, they're going to get there. If they don't get the right matchups, then the deck's unplayable, and that's why it doesn't do well. But it's going to have a miracle run sometime, right? And then like KO doing well, and, and Levia, and Bravo, and all the other things. like that. All, all I think that makes sense. I think the, tr- the first surprise I ever had was uh, this season so far is Prism. That's uh, I will say, anyone watching this, if you haven't watched... Uh, the game that he played into the Kasai, that was a really entertaining game to watch. It was just like them both slamming haymakers, like resolved Raisin Army on one side, then resolved Teclo uh, uh, Singularity on the other. And it was just like, I have no idea who's going to win this game. It's just, they're just playing all oh, of the crazy cards. That was the cards. only game I watched. Yep. It was, go, anyone watching this, if you didn't watch that game, I'd recommend going to watch it. It was a fun game to okay. watch. I thought they were entertaining. It's always fun to see a hero that doesn't get represented very often or doesn't, you know, get on a run very often either. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, I have to go dig out all of my Prism cards because maybe I'm going to play this deck again. So goodbye, everyone. See ya. Seven here, but, um, envelope. What we could do here is go ahead and play the envelope. Uh, all three pitches of envelope and darkness.